For the last five weeks, we have been taking an in-depth look at Romans chapter 6. I told the guys in my office this morning, I don't know, somehow I seem to have slowed down coming out of the reset. Uh, I'm, I, I was worried about how long we'd be in the book of Romans, and I went back and looked, and we started this study in the book of Romans on October the 7th of last year. So we've already been here for more than a year. Uh, and and I've done, this is our 34th lesson that we haven't taught on Romans every single Sunday. We had, of course, in the month of August, our reset were five consecutive Sundays that we didn't do anything to do with Romans. And then we don't do Romans on, uh, we don't do our normal Sunday school lesson on holiday weekends, Mother's Day, Father's Day, Easter, those kind of things. So we haven't hit it every single Sunday of that year, but we've now been in the book of Romans for over a year, and at the pace I'm going, we may be here for a decade. Who knows? Amen. I've decided that I'm not near as concerned about getting done with it as I am with getting it done right. Amen. And so I believe that we are in Romans chapter 6 is a very critical place in the book. It is the the application of some of the themes that we've seen previously in the first five chapters. And so I've kind of slowed down and I'm taking my time and I hope that everybody else is okay with that because I'm enjoying myself. Amen. I'm having a good time with this. And so what what it seemed to me like though when we got done with last Sunday morning's lesson is that we have been driving the same point home over and over and over again and in multiple consecutive weeks with a slightly different approach every time we we've been taking the exact same point and expounding it over and over again and that's there's a reason for that the reason is because that Paul is in these verses establishing a vital truth that should change your life amen he's establishing and he and he does it in and in between verses 3 and and verse 10 he does it in a in a in a repetitive fashion he states it and then he states it again in another way and then he states it again in another way and so we've done that we've covered that over and over and over again paul is answering that very critical question that was given in romans 6 and 1 should we continue in sin that grace might abound should we continue as sinners so that we can have more grace and we know that paul's answer was an emphatic no, we should not continue in sin because we are dead to sin. And if we are dead to sin, then how can we live any longer therein? So the, the basis of the things that we should know that Paul has been laying out for us is the evidence of the fact that we're dead to sin. Amen? And so from ver verse 3 to verse 14 contains a, an argument. It contains a, a particular segment or section in which Paul gives three steps to overcoming sin, to not living in sin. And and the first of those steps is to know, and I've said this every Sunday now for several Sundays in a row, uh, you've got to know. You've got to know what happened to you when you were saved. You've got to know what happened when you repented of your sins, when you were baptized in his name, and when he filled you with the Holy Ghost. Amen. And so over the last several weeks, we've been discussing what you know, amen? The second step begins with verse 11, and that's where we are this morning, amen? And you have to reckon. You guys, not enough just to know. It's not enough just to possess the knowledge of what has occurred in your life. You've got to count that as being real. You've got to count that as being true in your life. You've got to reckon it. 
The final step, which we'll get to in coming weeks, is that the believer must then yield his or her own life to God on the basis of what they now know and what they now count to be real in their life. You've got to act on it. You've got to yield yourself to God on the basis of what you now know. Amen? So Paul spent the most time on on that first step knowing, and we have spent an extensive amount of time there as well. And we've covered the things that you should know. You should know that if you are baptized into Jesus Christ, then you are baptized into his death. Amen? And you should know that if you were buried with him in baptism, then you were buried with the expectation that you would rise to walk in the newness of life just like he did. Amen? But you also should know this wasn't just about dying. This wasn't just about the death. Ultimately, this was about living. Jesus didn't go to the cross just to die. He went to the cross to overcome death. Amen. He went to the cross so that after he died and was buried, he could be risen again on the third day. Ultimately, this was about living, and that's what you need to know. It wasn't just about dying. It was about living. It wasn't just about repenting of your sins and being baptized in his name. It was about the infilling of the Holy Ghost. It was about a new life. Amen. And so you need to know that. You need to know that if you were planted in his likeness, then you should rise to live in his likeness. That which is planted is expected to produce life. Amen. And so you should walk in the newness of life, in the likeness of his resurrection. The reason for that is because we were crucified with Christ so that we should not serve sin anymore. That's the point that Paul has made. Sin is portrayed as the evil slave master, as the tyrant that has ruled over us. It once controlled us. It once had authority over us, but only as long as we were alive. When we died, we died out to sin. We literally became dead to the authority of sin. Sin no longer has control of us. It no longer has a hold on us. It once ruled us. But no more. It no longer has that authority. When we died with Christ, we were buried with him in baptism. When we rose to walk in the newness of life and sin lost its hold on us. These are things you ought to know. Amen. These are things that ought to be settled in your heart. And so last week we finished that section of things that you should know with the fact that Jesus Christ only died once. One time was all it took. And with, with that fact that he only died once, we discovered that his death conquered sin forever. He will never die again. And with that revelation, Paul was establishing the fact then that our death to sin should be final too. When we come to an altar and we repent of our sins and we're baptized with him, we're filled with the Holy Ghost and we rise to walk in the newness of life, we should never go back to the life that we left behind. We should never go back to the bondage that we were once bound by. We should not return to sin. Once we have died with Jesus Christ, once we have forever been set free from the bondage of sin. Death will never claim Jesus again. He will never die again. Death has no authority over him. Likewise, sin 
should never claim us again. It has no authority over us. That brings us to today's text, and I'm only going to cover one verse today. Amen. Romans chapter 6 and verse 11, and it says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I, I contemplated this morning how much I wanted to try to teach, and I recognize by saying I'm going to single this one verse out. I may not go as long as I normally do on a Sunday morning. I may also go longer than I normally do because this is teaching. Sometimes I get carried away teaching, amen. But I feel like there's there's principles here that really we need to consider alone before we move into the next verse. And so I want to I want to really take a hard look at what Paul is saying here. He begins with the word likewise. And likewise is a reference back to everything that we've talked about in the last five weeks, everything that I just reviewed with you. And and, and the, the, the words of Romans chapter 11, which are an imperative command, and we'll talk more about that in just a minute, but that command is based on everything that you should know. It's based on the teaching that was imparted in the previous 10 verses. It is important that you understand the nature and the implications of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Because whenever we come to him in salvation, we identify ourselves with his death, burial, and resurrection. We're saved by that. We're saved by his death. We're saved by his burial. We're saved by his resurrection. We talked about it way back in Romans chapter 4 as one righteous act. Not, not one piece of that, but the whole. It takes the whole thing. And we were, we were saved not just by his death and not just by his burial and not just by his resurrection, but by the whole thing. Amen. And whenever we come to him in salvation, we identify with the whole thing. We experience a type of spiritual death we we literally die with him in repentance amen it's not an abstract reality it is a, a real spiritual experience when we come to an altar of repentance the old man dies it's about dying it's about death it's about experiencing death we die out to sin at an altar of repentance and 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 that death that occurs at, at a at a place where real, real real repentance takes place is a a spiritual event and it is a spiritual death that is just as real as the death of Jesus Christ on the cross it's just as real amen that that process of death that you go through in repentance where you die out to the old man and you die out to sin it's a very real thing and you've got to know that you've got to know that isn't just this isn't just about ceremony this isn't just about going through the motions this isn't a checklist that you mark off okay i repented now i'm gonna get baptized and now i'm go this is a very real spiritual process i have to die i don't i can't move into the waters of baptism until i die Amen. It has to be real. It has to be something spiritual, that a transaction that takes place in my life. And then once I have died with him, then I'm buried with him in baptism because you bury dead men. 
Amen. And when we're, we're baptized, the scripture is very plain, we are baptized into Jesus Christ. We share in his burial. We're planted with him, Paul said, in the likeness of his death. But Jesus didn't stay in the grave. Amen. On the third day, he rose again. And though we are buried with him in his death, and, and though we, we experience a state of death and the state of his burial, that was never intended to be permanent. That was intended to be the threshold to a new life. That was intended to be the threshold of being filled with the Spirit of God. That which is buried with Christ will arise and walk in the newness of life. And so we discovered that New life comes when he fills us with the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost is that spirit of resurrection life. It is that spirit that empowers within us the ability to live a brand new life. So Paul starts verse 11 with the word likewise because it is important that we understand that our death to sin and resurrection to the newness of life get their power and meaning from Jesus' death and his resurrection. What, what we have and what is real in our life is based on what happened to him. Amen. That's why it's okay for Paul to draw the illusion. If he died once, then we should only have to die once. Amen. If he was set free by that one death, never ever to fall again under the authority of death, then it ought to be for us that when we repented of our sins and we're baptized in his name and filled with the Spirit, we should never again fall subject to the authority of sin. Our, it is important to us that we understand that our death to sin and, and, and the, the life that we now have is based on what happened to Jesus Christ. And so that's what Paul has explained to us. That's the things that we now know. And based on that knowledge, we now have an understanding of the importance and the power of of the cross. It wasn't just an event that we could celebrate at Easter and that we can say, you know, he came and he died. It was something that he did to empower us. It's it's that deep. And probably and having taken six weeks now to cover these few verses of Scripture, I probably haven't even handled it as deeply as it needed to be handled. Amen. There's a very deep spiritual significance to what happened on the cross that has to become a reality in your life. And so Paul says, likewise, building on all of that, you've got to reckon yourselves. The, the key point, and this, this, is a, this is a pivotal moment in the book of Romans, Reckon yourselves is a command. It is an imperative. And it is the first imperative in the whole letter. We're six chapters in. And this is the first time that Paul has issued an actual command to the readers of this letter. Everything before this has brought us to this point. Paul has been establishing his foundation. He is now about to start instructing us. This is the first 
command. He's about to start telling us how we should live. And it begins with this instruction. You've got to reckon yourselves. That's the second step to overcoming sin. The first was that you needed to know. And, and I've covered ad nauseum the things that you need to know. But now that we know those things, we've got to do something with that knowledge. We've got to reckon ourselves to be dead to sin. We've got to determine in our own heart that we believe that, that we are dead to sin. Now, I want to talk about the verb reckon first. That, that Greek verb there is one that is not unfamiliar to us. We saw it a few chapters earlier. It is an accounting term. It is the term that means to calculate or to count or to take into account. And the meaning in this context is to evaluate something or to consider and arrive at a conclusion on the result of calculation. It's not a conclusion that I just decided this is how I feel, that the, I added the facts up, and this is the sum of the facts. I have reckoned. I have, I have taken into account the fact that Jesus died and that he was buried and that he rose again and that whenever I came to him and repented, I died with him and I was buried with him. And when he filled me with the Spirit, he filled me with that resurrection and life. I've taken those things into account. What Paul is saying is you've got to weigh the evidence. You've got to consider what you now know. And that's why we spent so long on what you need to know. Because there are things there that you need to get settled in your heart. That you need to be able to consider. Because having considered it, you've got to let it lead you to the proper conclusion. There is a right answer. And the right answer comes from the preponderance of the evidence that you've been given. And you've got to weigh the evidence. And you've got to arrive at the answer. The instructions that Paul is about to give us in Romans 6 and 7 and 8 and on through the rest of the book, all those instructions are legitimately based on the evidence that he has provided us with. We've got to consider that evidence. You see, Paul is about to start giving us some imperatives, and those imperatives aren't pulled from thin air. This isn't something that he just decided sounded like a good idea. There is some substance behind it. There is some evidence behind it. And if we consider the evidence, the evidence will bring us to the right conclusion. And so he's saying, take these things that we've discussed so far. Take these things that you should know. Take these things that we've seen. Not just Romans 6, but Romans 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and now We've arrived at some, some conclusions and in six and consider those things and weigh them in your spirit and take them into your heart and, and consider them and reckon them to be true. You've got to count them. You've got to add it all up. You've got to put it all together. And you have to arrive at the conclusion of the matter. And on the basis of what we now know, on the basis of what we have now seen, on the basis of what we now understand about his death and his burial and his resurrection, our death and our burial and our resurrection, on the basis of this evidence that has been provided to us, we should reach the conclusion that we are now dead to sin. It's, it's something that we should arrive at naturally on the basis of the evidence that we've been, get, been given. Once we realize 
the importance of what happened whenever we came to him in salvation. Once we realize the things that we, we now know, then we should arrive at the conclusion that we are now dead to sin. And once we reach that conclusion, then we should understand that sin no longer has any power over us. Sin no longer has any authority over our lives. And so once we, once we reach the conclusion that we are dead to sin and sin no longer controls us, then we've got to act on that knowledge. We've got to cast off sin's demands. We've got to put off sin's temptations. We've got to put off the lust of the flesh. We act on the knowledge that is based on the things that we know and the conclusion that we've arrived at. We're dead to sin. That is the basis upon which you resist temptation. Sin is going to continue to tug at you. Sin is going to continue to tempt you. Your flesh is going to continue to try to drag you down. Just because you've been filled with the Holy Ghost does not mean that you've been given a glorified body. That's coming later. For now, you carry around flesh and blood, and your flesh is going to try its best to rob you of the security that you now have in Jesus Christ. It's going to do its best to try to drag you down, to try to rob you of that peace that you have. And, and it's going to do its best to draw you into sin and put you back under its authority and put you back under its power. And if you're going to resist that, if you're not going to continue in sin, then you must consider yourself to be truly dead to sin. And you've got to act as if that's true. Now, it's neat that Paul's using the same language here that he used earlier in the book of Romans because when we talked about counting or imputing earlier in the book of Romans, we were talking about something that God does or doesn't count. And God didn't impute our sins against us. He didn't count our unrighteousness against us. We spent a lot of time earlier in the book of Romans talking about how God, God didn't count our transgressions. He didn't count our trespasses. He didn't count our past sins against us because they were covered by the blood of Jesus. That those, those, we, we were sinners. We were justified by faith. We were declared righteous on the basis of our faithful obedience to him. He didn't count our sins against us. He could have He could have counted the evidence. He could have added it all up. He could have weighed it in the measure. We could have been found wanting, but instead he didn't count those things. Now Paul uses that same language, but we're not talking about God counting something here. We're talking about us counting something. We must reckon ourselves. We are the subject of the verb reckon. We must count ourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ. We've got we've to count ourselves. In other words, it's not enough just for Paul to write it. It's not enough just for the pastor to stand in the pulpit and declare it. You have to consider it to be true in your own life personally. You've got to count yourself. It has to be a, a personal decision. You've got to make up your mind on your own. You've got to consider it for yourself. Listen, I can't follow you around and resist sin for you. 
I can't follow you around and shrug off every temptation that comes against you in your life. You have to know for yourself what has happened to you. You have to understand for yourself what happened in in the act of salvation. You have to count it as being true in your own life. You've got to do this for yourself. When Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, we always quote Acts 2 and 38, and we tend to stop there. But the Bible said he went on and exhorted them with many other words, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. You've got to save yourself sometimes. Amen. You've got to make up your mind yourself. You've got to determine in and of yourself. You you are the subject of the verb reckon. You have to reckon it for yourself. You see, the reason why I'm taking this single verse this morning is because this is the point where it gets beyond teaching and gets into the the world of, of real application, gets into the real world, gets into your real life, gets down to where the, the rubber meets the road. Only you can make the application in your life. I can teach it, but you have to reckon it. I can tell you, but you've got to decide for yourself that this is the way it is. You have to consider yourself to be dead to sin. Amen? We know this. We know from Scripture that you're dead to sin and alive to God. We we can teach. Oh, I could... I have firm foundation of Scripture. I could teach for weeks and weeks and weeks on what that means. But all of that teaching profits nothing if you don't consider the facts for yourself and if you don't count yourself to be free from sin. Amen. You've got to decide it. You've got to make up your mind. You have to apply it to your own life. You've got to count those facts as being true in your personal life. See, what verse 11 is, is it is a plea from the Apostle Paul to the readers of the letter for them to live up to the reality of what has happened to them. To live up to the reality of the new life that they've been given. It's an impassionate an impassioned plea from the apostles saying, now that we've covered all of the evidence, now that we've got all the facts laid out there, now that we've looked at it from from so many different angles and we've seen it over and over and over again, the same thing, you're free from sin. You're not bound to sin. You don't have to live that way. You've been set free. Now it's time for you to count yourself as being dead to sin. You've got to reckon it for yourself. You've got to determine that you're going to live up to what you now see. A whole lot rests upon your own shoulders. You have to acknowledge in yourself that you have a responsibility to righteousness. You have to determine in yourself that you have a responsibility to godly living. You've got to decide for yourself that you have a responsibility to live up to this sacrifice that was made so that you could have new life. You have to decide for yourself that this is more than just an emotional thing that happened to you. 
at an altar of repentance because something real transpired there that you will live a different life. Ultimately, the preacher can't make you do that. Ultimately, the Holy Ghost that lives inside of you will not make you do that. It will empower you. But you have to decide that this is how you're going to live. God has filled you with the Spirit. He has given you the power to walk in the newness of life. He has given you all of the resources that you need. You have the Spirit of God living inside of you. You have the Word of God to direct you. You have a man of God to preach to you. You have the community and fellowship of the church to support you. But you have to decide for yourself that you're going to live for God. You should walk in the newness of life. But you must recognize the need to do so. You've got to recognize that you have a responsibility to this new life. It is your responsibility to live in a way that glorifies God. It is your responsibility to act upon what you now know about the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ and live a life that shows that you understand it. You've got to reckon those things to be true. That is the command. That is the imperative. That is what we arrive at. After all of that teaching, after all of five and a half chapters of of evidence, this is where we arrive. You have to count yourself as being free from sin. Listen to me. You'll not get the victory over sin in your life until you begin to walk. In the newness of life. You will not overcome your flesh and this world of sin until you determine that you will live a life that has changed. It rests on your shoulders. And for that to happen, you have to reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The responsibility rests upon your own shoulders. If we sin, it is because we've chosen to disobey God. We can't blame that on anybody else. Nobody's ever going to stand before the throne of judgment and say, well, I sinned because the pastor hurt my feelings. Nobody's going to stand before the throne of judgment and say, well, I sinned because Sister Sally talked bad about me behind my back. Nobody's going to stand before the throne of judgment and say, well, I sinned because so-and-so did whatever so-and-so did to me. If you sin, you're going to sin on the basis of the fact that you ignore what you now know. If you sin, you sin because you willingly choose to disobey God. If we continue in sin after we've been saved, It is because we refuse to acknowledge what has really happened to us. It's because we refuse to understand what it means to be given the newness of life. We we have to choose. Listen, just as surely as you have to choose to walk in this life, you've got to choose not to walk in it to continue a life of sin. You've got to choose to reject what has been born in you. 
You've got to choose to reject that new life that was given to you. You have to choose disobedience over obedience if you're going to continue in sin. Ultimately, the choice is yours. Ultimately, the decision lies in your own hands. But you've got to understand, choices have consequences. The decisions you make determine the direction of your life. And if you choose to disobey, if you ignore the prompting of the Holy Ghost within you, if you choose to disobey the Spirit of God that speaks to you, if you choose to ignore what has happened in your life, if you decide to submit yourself again to sin, then you fall back under sin's authority. You make yourself a slave to sin again. I'm going to repeat this from Wednesday night because it really needs to be said again. And I said Wednesday night it, how well it goes with what we're doing on Sunday morning. And, and here we are on Sunday morning. And I want to just say this real, real quickly. Sin. Sin never serves you. Sin never serves your purpose. Sin never gains you anything. You can mark it down. You can write it down, underline it, take it to the bank, however you want to put it. Sin is always the master. Sin is never the servant. Sin never serves you. Sin never advances your cause. Now, the, the, the trick about that is that sin will always present itself as the servant. Sin will always present itself as a viable means to reach the desired ends. It will always present itself as the best way to get to your desired goal. But listen to this preacher. Sin will never advance you towards anything that you really need in your life. Sin will never move you in a positive direction. Sin cannot be harnessed to achieve any profitable goal. Nothing good ever comes from sin. You got to settle that. It has to be decided. You got to say, I know this. I'm going to stand on this. Sin may seem to be convenient, sin may seem to be profitable, it may seem to be the easiest, most expedient route. But I can tell you this morning, with the full authority of the Word of God standing behind me, that there is nothing expedient about sin. There is nothing profitable in sin. It has only one goal. It is the master. And it will make you the servant. It has only one end result. It will rule you. You may think you control it. You may think you can harness it. But you don't. And you can't. Sin will destroy you. Paul's point is simple. You don't have to live under the authority of sin. But in order to live different than that, you have to choose 
to live like you've been suffering. You have to choose to live a life that is different. If you choose to ignore what has been occurred in your life, what has happened to you in salvation, if you choose to return to sin's dominion, then you'll live a life of defeat. Sin will be the master and sin will rule over you and you will always be the slave. But it doesn't have to be that way. We're dead to sin. We died with Jesus Christ. We were buried with him in baptism. We rose in the newness of life. We were filled with his spirit. Jesus encountered sin once and overcame it on the cross. He died one time. He'll never die again. It was a once-for-all victory. When it was over, it was over. When he said, it is finished, he meant, it is finished. He left death behind him forevermore, and he left sin behind him forevermore. And we've got to realize that on the force of that, in the power of that, on the basis of what Jesus did, we too can leave sin behind. We too can be set free. We too can die out to our old life. We too don't have to live under the mastery of sin. We can leave that life behind. We can be set free in Jesus Christ. Amen? We can walk in the newness of life. Now, I'm not going to go real deep into it, and I've said it over and over again. I understand you have a sin nature. I understand there's going to be the constant temptation, and I understand that you're going to slip and fall and mess up from time to time. And I'm not telling you that if you make a mistake, you're forever lost. That's the devil's game. I'm telling you there's an advocate with the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ. But I'm telling you how you should live. You should live like you've been saved. You should live like you've been set free. You should live a life that reflects what Jesus Christ has done for you. Here's the principle. We've got to learn to become in practice what we already are in principle. When he saved you, he spoke better things over your life. You were a sinner. You were cold in unrighteousness. But he declared you to be a saint. And he declared you to be righteous. You didn't have any righteousness. Your righteousness was as filthy rags before him. But when he saved you, he washed you in his blood. He didn't count those things against you. He declared you to be righteous. Now you've got to live like it. Now you've got to act like it. You've got to, Paul said in one place, you've got to walk worthy. Of the sacrifice that was made. You've got to live up to it. And let me say this in, by way of coming to a close. This is not a game of pretend. This is not make-believe. This is not saying, well, if you pretend like you're set free from sin, you'll eventually be set free from sin. Not at all. We are in reality spiritually dead to sin. When we came to an altar of repentance, we died. This is about letting what is a spiritual reality become a reality in your life every single day. And in order for that to happen, you've got to live it. You've got to choose it. 
You've got to walk after it. My Bible said resist the devil, and he must flee. He has to. The problem is not that the devil's stronger than you are. The problem is that you don't resist him. You've got to resist. Amen? That's straight out of the book of James. That's just good, simple, basic Bible teaching. We have died in Jesus Christ. We are spiritually dead, and we've got to live like we know that. We have to choose to reckon ourselves, to count ourselves as having been set free from sin. One Bible scholar said that in order to understand the full implication of this, you've got to realize that for the Christian to choose to sin, is the spiritual equivalent of going to the graveyard and digging up a corpse for fellowship. Now that's morbid. That's disgusting. Nobody in their right mind would dig up a corpse and put it in the lawn chair beside them and sit out and enjoy an afternoon together in fellowship. Nobody would do that. But when you return to sin, In a spiritual sense, that is exactly what you do. You decide, I'd rather spend my time in fellowship with the dead man than to spend my time living the new life that I've been given. That's the spiritual reality of the situation. Whenever you go back to sin, you embrace that dead man that was buried in the waters of baptism that you left behind. It ought not. You've got to reckon yourself to be set free. Would you stand with me? Brother Ryan, if you'd come to the music. It is, I understand that this morning's lesson is really very, very practical. This isn't the kind of stuff that you get up and shout and run the aisles over. This is right down where the rubber meets the road. This is where the preacher puts it back in your hands and says, you've got to save yourself. You've got to make up your mind. I can preach to you, and I will pray for you, and I will lay my hands on you, and I will, I'll cast out devils, and I'll plead the blood of Jesus. But when it's all said and done, you've got to walk out those doors, and you have to live it. You've got to determine. You have to make up your mind. I'm not going to let bitterness rule over me anymore. I'm not going to let my past hurts rule over me anymore. I'm not going to let sin have authority in my life anymore. I've been set free. You have to decide that. For yourself. Amen. Brother Ryan's going to sing a worship song. I'd ask you for a few moments this morning. If you just contemplate, just consider what God has done and the life that He has called us to. And if in that consideration, if you just recommit yourself again this morning, Lord, I want to live a life that reflects the fact that I've been set free. Would you just lift your hands to heaven? Would you tell Him, Lord, I want to live up. I want to live up to the reality. I want to live up to the principle. I want to live up to what you've done for me. I want to live up to the fact that I have been set free. I have died to sin. And I am alive in Jesus Christ. 